the podcast this week is brought to you by DoorCountyTickets.com. Door County Tickets is an online ticket portal dedicated exclusively to Door County events like the Door County Beer Festival, the Peninsula Century Spring and Autumn Classics, and musical acts throughout the county. For more information, visit DoorCountyTickets.com. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, mainly because election ads are done. Right, we're done with uh, we're done with politics. Well, we're going to spend one more day on <laughs> politics, at least for now. This is going to be your election results podcast. So we're going to go through all the election results at a county level in Door County, and then we're going to move outward and just kind of talk a little bit about how things shaked out. You look tired, Miles. Where were you last night? I was down at Stone Harbor um, Resort last night after finishing up here in the office during the day and just uh, watching the results come in. Uh, There was a Caleb Frostman and Tammy Sternard watch party there. Yeah, when in downtime, I was able to get a couple of other interviews for other stories in. But yeah, it was a lot of just waiting for the results to come in from the door county clerk and then also just like sweating over every little up and down throughout the evening it was kind of crazy night to be watching almost like a football game even though right. that's a weird way to watch politics but that's what we do well and the i think the most interesting thing is like all throughout my social media feed was people with their voted stickers and talking about voting and talking about the midterms which doesn't happen very often midterms are traditionally a more unpopular election because there's not as much drama surrounding them. They're not as, uh, I don't want to say they're not as important, but they don't have that, that, People aren't that pumped mystique. Up. Right. Um, and this was very different. Uh, voter turnout was much higher uh, than it's been. Um, and voter turnout from young people seemed to be in a fever pitch as well. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see what it was for Door County or Wisconsin specifically, but I did see one report that in Chicago, the youth voter turnout was higher than it's ever been. I mean, some of the largest numbers actually were coming in that 25 to 35 range, which is usually a lower end number. And even the 18 to 25 was really big. And they were, uh, a lot of speculation is now that just that higher youth voter turnout is what flipped three of the congressional seats and the governor's race in Illinois. So that's just one anecdotal thing. You saw it in Door County too. I I voted at 715 in the morning. And at that point, I was already the number 38 in Liberty Grove. Right. And they had more than 25% of the electorate had already voted in early voting or absentee balloting, which mm-hmm. is, you only reach that kind of number in presidential campaigns normally. Right. And you saw that across the board. I heard towns that had turnout of 60, 65%, which is phenomenal mm-hmm. in um, in any election, let alone a midterm. Right. I, I voted down in Egg Harbor, the Egg Harbor Town Hall. Down in and Carlsville, I, right? Yep. So Isn't not that Egg weird? Because you're actually, you live north of the village of Egg Harbor, correct? Yes. Yep. And the way that, you know, talking about different, w- the way districts are, and this is nothing to do with like a congressional gerrymandering or anything like that, but the weird, the weirdness of Egg Harbor in that when the village was split off 30, 40, no, 50 some odd years ago and carved out the little village in the middle, the town actually wraps all the way around it. So you're on the north side of the village of Egg Harbor, but you have to drive through the village of Egg Harbor down to Carlsville to vote out on County I right. <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that that town hall has a Sturgeon Bay address like, yes. when you look it up. Yeah. So it's, yeah, really, I mean, it's not that bad of a, a drive. I mean, growing up, my parents voted at the school, which was, I mean, I could walk to it. Yep. So I showed up with my wife around noon, and we were like 430th 
she was talking to uh, some of the people who were who were there, and they said that they had to at noon send out for more materials because they had already gone through all of the materials they thought that they would need for the whole day four hours in. So, which I mean, I guess you try to be efficient, but I don't know who it was that was out there thinking, "Oh, we weren't gonna." Who who didn't think there was going to be a good turnout and didn't supply anybody with enough materials? We're lucky in Door County that every the voting is relatively easy here. Um, some places have to drive a fair length to a voting place, but um, we don't have the lines. There were plenty of places around the country where they just flat out ran out of everything, and and the ballot boxes were broken, and the the machines were broken. So and lines around the block in the rain. So. We do pretty well up here. Can't take it for granted until you move to a city like I did and then have to try and figure it all out and say right. it's pretty crazy. Well, even for the presidential election, uh, when I when I showed up at the Egg Harbor Town Hall, it was me and my wife. And I don't I think that there might have been another couple who came in after we had finished voting, but it was empty and we came at the same time. This time I went and all of the voting kiosks were full and I had to wait for one to open up. Yeah. So it, it seems like the, the voter turnout was substantial this year. Yeah, it's great to see people fired up. So where do you want to start? Let's. I, I think we start small and work our way up from <laughs> county to national level. So which are the which are the big Door County specific well, votes do you want to focus um, on? I would start with uh, Tammy Sternard um, winning the Door County Sheriff's Race. One, because it's the kind of an interesting history there. And it was a, an interesting race to watch in that Sternard was a... Um, has spent her career as a jailer in, in the in the jail, and then Patrick McCarty, um, her opponent, had spent most of his career um, on the roads as a as a patrol officer, and then the last four years as a deputy sheriff. I think you know McCarty's been a, a pretty prominent name in the county for a long time. He served as Southern Doors football coach. Uh, he's had a pretty prominent position there for several years, and was seemingly sort of groomed for that position. So. It, to me, it was a bit of a surprise to see Sternard pull that one out. And she pulled it up a very narrow margin, 323 votes of over 16,000 cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, really tight race there. And also talking to Sternard afterwards, she had said in her uh, victory speech that, you know, she started as one of just two women employed by the Door County Sheriff's Department. Right. And she said, at the when I started, and if you'd have told me that 25 years from now, I would be the sheriff, I'd have told you you're nuts. So kind of an interesting story there. She's also just the second woman to be sheriff in Door County. Do you know who the other one was? I don't. Of course you don't, because who would? Um, it was, so Hollis Baldy Bridenhagen is kind of legend up here. Uh, he served as sheriff for the better part of 20 years, but at the time they had term limits. So after several terms, he couldn't run again, but he was basically just like the de facto sheriff. His wife, uh, Gloria, took the seat for two years. And just kept it warm. And then the term limit thing had passed and then he could run again. Right. I had heard that story. So yes. he was basically the sheriff the whole whole time. But um, yeah, she gets credit as being the first woman sheriff in Door County. Yeah. And now Tammy is number two. Great. That's, yeah, that's... It's uh, also an interesting race. Sorry to interrupt you. No. But um, th- the two opponents now have to work with each other. Right. Um, and I asked Tammy about that and she said, I have a lot of respect for Pat. I think he has a lot of respect for me. We're going to work well together. So, um, but it's just kind of one of those races where you... You ask yourself, why is this a political race (laughs) for a Door County Sheriff? Um, Just like some of the judge positions and things like that. Just kind of interesting quirk there. Mm. Well, and I I feel like I feel like in politics, because it is the will of the people, it's hard to I I feel like it might be hard to be upset with with your opponent when you win or lose. You know what I mean? Yeah. If unless they ran like a. A lot of uh, a dirty campaign where yeah, they made a lot if of if they were attacking you the whole time, that's different. But it, and, it seems like the sheriff race was pretty 
was pretty on the up and up. Yeah, and Tammy actually thanked uh, Patrick McCarty in her um, victory speech for for running a, a clean campaign and a respectful campaign. Um, wouldn't it be great if we saw more of that? <laughs> right. Uh, any other Door County elections before we move on to the referendums? Uh, yes, there, um, well, I think that's it for the, the Door County, like individual races that, uh, don't encompass a wider area, but yeah, let's talk about referendums. Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong, but all of the school referendums passed. They did. It was a big night for education and schools in, in Door County. And it seems like they passed by a wide margin, correct? Yeah. And that, that came as a surprise to me. I, I thought there was a chance they would all pass, but I thought it'd be very close. But um, across the board, if I have my figures right, uh, Gibraltar passed both their operational referendum for um, 1.4 million that increases to 4.2 million in a couple of years, and their facilities referendum both passed with about 70% of the vote. Sevastopol passed, and this was the biggest um, doubt in my mind, was whether that, that one would pass for a $25 million facilities referendum. Um, and then an operational referendum that passed 70% for the facilities referendum, 61% for the operational referendum. So it's kind of interesting that there's actually a split there where some people were like, yeah, we'll give you the building, but we don't think you, you deserve the funds to then operate it. Right. Um, you know, I think it's interesting too, because that price tag, the sticker shock there is, is huge right away. It's the biggest referendum I've ever seen in Door County. Right. So of course your initial reaction is, you know, to keep, to keep your wits about you. But when you actually like research why and you look into why Sevastopol needs to 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 rehaul its its entire uh, its entire infrastructure, it becomes very clear that this is not a huge amount of money. It's an appropriate amount of money to fix the school. And I I'm not surprised that it passed. I'm I'm very proud of voters in Door County for for looking at this as an important thing and actually moving beyond that initial because. Uh, pricing is a, a big thing up here when it comes to voting. We've seen it with the um, the Fish Creek Beach House, yeah, um, or the Eagle Tower rebuilt. Like people are very conscious of where their tax money is going in Door County, and and I'm I'm happy to see that education was a priority here. Yeah, I mean, Sevastopol passing with that margin. I like I said, I thought it'd be like maybe it would pass by a hair, maybe it would lose by a hair. I didn't I didn't anticipate it, and a lot of Sevastopol residents I talked to. We're sweating it out, too. Um, so it wasn't, at least uh, heading into it, people didn't think it was a foregone, foregone conclusion. And then down in Southern Door, uh, their facilities referendum passed and their operational referendum passed, um, both of those with about 60% support. Um, Southern Door is interesting in that they have voted against referendums in the past, and they also, they don't have, like, the high property values that Northern Door, like the Gibraltar District and Sevastopol District do. So there's a little bit more impact per resident on their tax bills for this, for their property. And it's more year-round residents that have to pay those tax bills. In the northern districts, there's a lot more seasonal property owners that actually end up footing a lot of the bill for these referendums, but don't have a vote um, because they don't live here. In Southern Door, you're talking about a district that has a lot more year-round residents who also chose to support. So even though that number's a little lower than the other districts, that might actually be the most impressive, from a school standpoint, most impressive number is all, of all. And I know in Southern Door, they did a, a lot of outreach, a lot of going around the different mis- munis- municipalities to make the case for that referendum. Um, and maybe that's what tipped the scales from the one um, last year. Sevastopol as well, that's been a, a six-year discussion about what to do with the f- for that school. And I think that, that helped both of those districts just having this long-term discussion about what the options were and, and surveying their, their residents to find out what they wanted. 
before coming to them and say, hey, we chose we wanted this. Like Sevastopol originally had like a, a nearly $60 million referendum in the works. They surveyed the residents. The residents said, we're not going to support that. And they trimmed it down before going and losing. So kind of a community-wide effort rather than a top-down effort. Right. Any other Door County-specific stuff before we move on to statewide races? The only other thing is for schools, it's probably not over when it comes to schools. Sturgeon Bay uh, is rumored to be in the works of maybe putting something on the ballot next spring. Uh, we'll be watching that in the pulse and you know, we'll be watching and, and seeing what happens. I mean, Sevastopol is going to be a much different school when right. that construction is done. And in the meantime, it's probably going to be a lot of work while, while kids are in the classroom. So it's going to be a construction zone there. And same thing at Gibraltar and Southern Door. And I, I think one of the things that might have tipped the scales a little bit in Sevastopol was getting some of those community donations. Thermotron X came forward and said, we'll give $2 million. Mm-hmm. If both referendums pass, we'll give $2 million to outfit the science department with a ton of technology to help us create the next generation of employees. And I think when people saw some of the larger businesses in the county throw their support behind that, that might have tipped some scales for some people. Right. Moving out into uh, Wisconsin and the elections uh, that took place for, uh, we can start maybe with with Caleb Frostman and Andre Jacques and then move on uh, because some really interesting things played out uh, for the House, the Senate, and for the governor's race. Yes. Um, so Caleb Frostman lost to Andre Jacques um, by almost 10% in that in I think that about ballpark. 8%, yeah. Okay. Um, so we had talked about this before. Uh, in my opinion, I was nervous for Caleb right away because he wins a special election. To me, that would, that would lead me to think that Andre Jacques supporters were going to come out in droves to try to rectify that. Uh, and, that's, and, and that's what we saw. Right. Um, you had Caleb Frostman... The first Democrat to win the first Senate district seat in f- over 40 years. Um, so it was a rare, a, a big anomaly for him to win in the first place. And even then, Democrats were very fired up in June. Republicans really not fired up at all in June. And this time around, there's much more fired up Republican base. You saw it ac- across the country. While Democrats are responding and, and fighting in the uh, quote unquote resistance um, to Trump, and that's driving a lot of turnout. Uh, Republicans uh, really rallied in the last couple of weeks, really six weeks maybe, behind a lot of the immigration rhetoric that was out there and or anti-immigration rhetoric. And I think you saw that play out in races across the country where turnout was way up, but it was way out, way up on both sides. Um, and I think I think it's interesting when you look at how Wisconsin voted as a whole. Um, do you think that we saw the, the, the blue wave that maybe we were, were, were thinking we might see? Um, yeah, nationwide you did. I mean, the Democrats picked up a lot of seats in the House of Representatives. Um, Republicans battle, or fought back and took a couple seats, a couple new seats in the Senate. And then at the state level, you know, Tony Evers toppling Scott Walker is, that was, even though polling had suggested that he would do that, it was still a, a kind of a surprise to me. Walker has been uh, the Teflon Don. I mean, he he fought back a recall election, won two terms pretty comfortably, a big national name. And, you know, you, it's tough to beat an incumbent, especially a couple of terms. Tommy Thompson uh, won three terms back in the 80s and 90s. But yeah, well, that, that win forever um, surprised me. And then Tammy Baldwin pretty much dominating the Senate race. Uh, that was not a surprise. But so, yeah, statewide, though, you didn't see the big blue wave. You didn't see the Senate is still predominantly Republican controlled uh, 19 to 14. And the assembly is still going to be dominated by the Republican Party. So they're still going to hold the assembly 
and the state Senate. But we will have a split government now with the, the governor's office going to the Democrats. Well, what I think is interesting is that you have uh, these, these interesting splits. Like you said, uh, state Senate is 6 to 11, including losses like Frostman. But then you have Tammy Baldwin and Tony Evers coming out on top. Uh, then the House of Representatives is, is 3 to 5. So there, there's... We, what do you mean 3 to 5? U.S. House, 3-1. Uh, three Democrats, five Republicans. Oh, gotcha. U.S. House. Yeah. You, yeah. So things are split, maybe leaning a little bit more Republican, but then in, in these major battles, the governor's race, the U.S. Senate, those all shifted. And, and, and in terms of the, the governor's race, uh, a shift that's, that means a lot. Yeah, I mean, that could, I mean that's a, the big impact there, and it's going to be interesting what we see from Evers in, in moving forward and the policies he might enact and what happens to Act 10. He doesn't have many le- le- much legislative control, um, so there'll be a check on him. Then locally, it was very interesting to watch the results and how they played out. You know, with, in Door County specifically, 55% of voters voted for Tammy Baldwin. And a little bit more than that voted for Mike Gallagher, Baldwin being the Democrat, a very liberal Democrat, and Gallagher, um, you know, a, a, a right-of-center Republican. Um, and that's kind of interesting. And then Walker won Door County. So you had people sitting in the booth saying, I'm going to support Tammy Baldwin, a liberal Democrat, and I'm going to support Scott Walker, a, a, a god on the far right. You know, so it's interesting how I, I and if, if there are any listeners out there who did that, I'd love to talk to you because I, I wonder, like, how does how does one mind choose those two very different personalities? Right. Um, you know, Wisconsin has traditionally been a bit of a purple state where we might go, um, for a Republican governor and then two Democratic senators for a long time. It was like Russ Feingold, Herb Cole, and Tommy Thompson. <laughs> um, but that that's still pretty fascinating to me that I, I can see that playing out in like different population sectors, but it's weird that one, the same person might vote for those two very different representatives. Right. Well, I wonder, because sometimes I come up against uh, single issue voters all the time <clears throat> where they, they don't necessarily agree with 90% of a candidate's policies, except for that one thing that they are really big into. Yeah. And they'll cast their vote for that. So I wonder if maybe there's some overlap there that might be kind of ad- abstract. Um, so I know like gun control is a huge thing for some voters and that becomes their one thing. So they will vote for the candidate who is, you know, backed by the NRA. Or uh, taxes. Some people, that's their single issue, and they will vote for the tax cut over anything else. Yeah, I mean, and there's, and of course, abortion is a big one in those circles as well. I wonder if it's just name recognition. Baldwin being the incumbent, some people they just have a comfort level. Maybe, maybe it's a likability factor. I think um, we can debate policies all day, but the likability factor in a lot of people who are not very in tune with politics, maybe it's just like I like the way she sounds on TV, or I like the way he sounds at this speech right. and all the policy stuff that we can analyze all day. Maybe that just doesn't make a difference at all. <laughs> you know, I like to, I like to hope that you would cast your vote based on looking at the candidates and, and a breadth of issues and trying to pick the one that you most identify with. Um, but then I was on Tony Evers website looking at his, his platform. And one of the things that he said is he wants to give a hundred megabytes per second internet to every resident of Wisconsin, including in the rural areas. And, and that like, suddenly sounded really good. Yeah. Here, right? And I was like, oh, hey, that's my single issue. Yeah. I'll vote for the internet platform. Yeah. So. There's, or people who see like a random ad, whether it's good or bad. I mean, that you talk to a lot of people, not a lot of people in my age group or lower. I'm almost 40, too close to 40, but even up to like nearly 50 years old, most of those people aren't watching and being swayed by a lot of TV ads. There are some, but I think most of them are not. But if you go over 50, 
And I have those same conversations with people. People will regurgitate almost blatant lies put out on either side of the aisle. And maybe if they're not blatant lies, they're just mischaracterizations. Mm -hmm. People spit that out as a justification for their vote. And um, I mean, personally, I would love to see them just like go to publicly funded elections so we don't have all this money pouring in. And I can watch a Packers game without watching 95 horrible election ads that right. just insult our intelligence. Or even when I'm trying to watch YouTube videos about anything else. <clears throat> uh, luckily, they're all... Oh, yeah. Now it pops up on YouTube. Like the other ways we want to waste our time. Or, you know, you can learn on, on YouTube. But I, I, I might go there a lot of times just to waste some time. But now you get the political ads that pop up in there and you can't get out of them. Or on Facebook. Like Facebook feed yesterday was just one out of every three posts was something for one of the, the local um, campaigns. Right. It was a little nauseating. Any other Wisconsin? Oh, I have one other thing about Wisconsin that I wanted to talk about. So kind of interesting. For this election, there were a bunch of referendums across the state about marijuana usage, which to me kind of came out of left field because I, I wouldn't consider Wisconsin to be a very marijuana-friendly state. Yeah. the So it'll probably go on a, a ballot soon. I, um in Door County about whether we want to discuss or, or approach legalizing marijuana and see that on the ballot. In Michigan, I believe they did pass it. And you're seeing that more and more. Um, yeah, my, Michigan became the 10th state to legalize marijuana. Yeah, and I, I can't imagine it'll be that long before more and more do be, because it just you can turn this thing into a, an expense that is enforcing marijuana use and drug dealing of marijuana as a crime and that's very costly and imprisoning people for marijuana possession that is very costly instead you can just start taxing those deals and make money so right. you're flipping the revenue stream there well and uh from what i've from what i've been hearing the majority of the referendums passed by by huge numbers uh something yeah. like like 65 percent in some cases as and it's it's kind of like the gay marriage debate was in like 2000 where at the time, it was the majority of Americans were against a gay marriage. And then and there was a Republican um, consultant at the time who said, he actually said, this is a very bad issue for Republicans. It might win us this election, but we're going to lose a generation if we continue to demonize um, the same-sex marriage. Because he said, it's just a demographic inevitability that the people who are against it are just much older. And as they die, we'll, that it's just going to go from being a 55 45 issue to 55, 45 the other way, and then become 60, 40, 70, 30. And you're seeing the same thing play out with marijuana um, legalization where it's starting to pass pretty overwhelmingly. Mm -hmm. Well, and it, it interests me too, um, Brown County passed their referendum about medical marijuana use. And Brown County historically is very tough on drug crimes. Really interesting to see all that. Tony Evers said Yeah, even in, in relatively conservative or even purple states or districts, you're seeing things like that flip. You know, another one that another result yesterday that was pretty surprising to me and would have major implications down the road and might see a, a wave of these types of actions going um, state by state is that Florida um, voted to allow um, the convicted criminal to vote. Right. That puts one point four million people back in the voter rolls mm -hmm. um, and, and what you would say is dis disenfranchised voters. So that could change the whole dynamic of elections in that state. Well, right. And if more states do that, you know, I, I would imagine you'd see a lot more support for uh, uh, or efforts being taken across the country to try and do the same thing. Right. So moving out beyond Wisconsin. Um, oh, one more. One more local election. So Gallagher won easily. Um, really, Bola Joyce didn't mount a very big campaign against him. Um, another one similar to that. Joel Kitchens, uh, 
the local assemblyman. He also won handily, uh, defeating uh, Roberta Thielen, um, who also didn't mount a, a very big campaign against him. Um, but uh, yeah, Joel Kitchens returns to office again in the um, local assembly district. So moving out beyond Wisconsin, um, we talked a little bit about how things turned out kind of nationwide. Uh, but as we mentioned, we now have a Democratic majority in the House of Rep- in the House of Representatives. What do you think that that means moving forward? Well, what you'll see is the potential for the Democrats to now have subpoena power, and a lot of these uh, investigations with the Mueller investigation and other um, debates about Donald Trump and improprieties. They haven't had Democrats have not had power to actually like investigate anything. And so nothing has gone anywhere at, on the congressional level. It's all been through the special prosecutor um, or special investigator. And now Democrats have that power. So you'll see committee chairs flip and uh, a lot of different different faces, different voices will be the most powerful voices on the House side. Um, One of the biggest wins going off of that, I think, is doesn't doesn't that guarantee a certain amount of security for Mueller's investigation. Even if he is fired down the line, the the House can still continue the investigation with him. Yeah, I mean, it, it hypothetically, I mean, I don't, I don't know what happens in this environment. Everything's just different now. I mean, um, everything that like Donald Trump tweets or says might have killed campaigns four years ago, right? Um, or seen as impossible. I mean, the so. I, I don't know that you can definitively say anything about what might happen. But yeah, I mean, it, it provides a big check and a big, um, you know, like big rebuke to Donald Trump's actions and presidency. It, it tells you that um, a lot of Americans want more civility, maybe, or at least like something to check on him. And a lot of those, a, a big proportion of those people actually want the Democrats to go and attack the president and pursue impeachment and pursue much stiffer penalties. It I'd be surprised if you actually saw that because that would rile up the opposition base and bode poorly for 2020. So I don't think you're going to see the most dramatic plays made by the Democratic hand um, now that they have control of the House. Maybe if they had the Senate, you might see them go down that route. But I think it'll be a little measured and you'll see a lot more playing politics by the Democrats than you might have expected by by having that power. But it is, you cannot underplay like what, what a momentum change that is and what a what a power shift that is because um trump you know he just can't wave a wand anymore and and it might actually the, the interesting thing i think it could actually have more of an impact on what little middle of the road republicans are left in that now that they don't have to risk losing the house because they've already lost it you might see a little more independence from the president or independence on the part of those people in, in regards to the president and maybe speaking out or maybe not feeling that they have to go um, lockstep with the president now. So it, it, there's there's a lot up in the air now. It's going right. to be very interesting for the next well, two years. And to a certain extent, while uh, Democrats didn't take the Senate, um, there were some very important elections that, that put more progressive candidates in those seats that they did take. So we might be looking at a more progressive Democratic Party moving You on. You might in a couple of spots, like the, um, um, in New York, there's a couple... But there were also very progressive Democratic candidates who did not win. They they showed really well, but they didn't get over the hump. Uh, Stacey Abrams, it's yet to be seen if she wins the governorship. Um, Bill Nelson lost his senator seat in Florida. Uh, Andrew Gillum lost the governorship down or his race for the governor down there. And Beto O'Rourke, probably the most uh, well-known and, and popular of the very progressive Dems, 
um, came up short against Ted Cruz. So there were, and there were several more examples of that where people who were very, very um, progressive or to the far left of the spectrum did not quite get over the hump. Maybe that, and it depends how you want to read that. That might mean, hey, they're almost there and that'll happen next cycle. Or they might read that as, see, that's why you have to come a little bit closer to the center. And that is traditionally where like the RNC, the Republican National Committee and the Democratic National Committee, those two groups try to kind of pull their candidates closer to the center all the time and don't really like having like this Tea Party arm here or the Democratic Socialists here. So yeah, it's going to be interesting how the party politics play out on that side. But, you know, there were a few that won that you couldn't have seen somebody winning with that kind of a progressive stance, say, five years ago. Even Tammy Baldwin, she is pro-universal health care. And that alone would have been, you know, Dennis Kucinich was running on that in 2004 and laughed at. Now there are a ton of candidates who just run it and it's not even a, a big deal or a controversial thing for them to run on that. So it's kind of interesting. Or, or people like Caleb Frostman running for the Senate district um, in our area and openly touting his support for gay marriage and the rights of, of same-sex couples. Like that, nobody would have out- ventured into that territory six, eight, ten years ago, at least openly, or seen it as like a major campaign plus. So things are things are changing in all sorts of different ways. Well, I mean, that's the thing too. I mean, for for as many wins as we made, I mean, even specifically in the midterm elections, in terms of uh, racial diversity and LGBT inclusion within the House and the Senate, um, or just women. Yeah, or just there will be more women in Congress than ever before. Right. Uh, the Republicans actually lost a couple of women representatives, but Democrats gained so many. There will be, it's still nowhere near 50%, but, you know, it's a, it's a huge night for women across the board. Well, and, and while we're having those, those huge kind of momentum shifts, we're also seeing pushback from the other side. And we're seeing, you're seeing more and more opposition to that, too. You're having, like you said, candidates who are running on platforms of identity politics and xenophobia and pushing immigration reform that is not even borderline racist just is racist yeah and a lot of just plain fear you know and that's that's something that politics have always done i mean lbj was probably the first one to to or at least that i know of i'm sure there were others but like you know he had this classic ad where it was just a mushroom cloud and a a little girl picking daisy to the field and then a mushroom cloud explodes and it's kind of like you know if you elect him, we're going to have a mushroom cloud blowing up your kids. It's kind of the message there. So that's been something that's happened on both sides of the aisle for a long time. It definitely is more a product of what um, the Republican Party and the far right wing of the Republican Party is doing now is a lot more fear tactics. The What I would say is a pretty bogus um, caravan plot line that they have drummed up before the election. I bet you you won't see much about that now that the election's over. Um, really a, a blatant attempt to just fire up the kind of worst instincts of the base there um you're gonna see or what what, what, so you we just see more of that and with trump's instincts where he just like um he's not afraid to go anywhere and that's why people that support him love him like he will go down any road if it's going to appease his base or even if it's not political even if it's just what he wants to say in that moment um so it there is every time you think the political environment can't get stranger or wilder or almost more headache inducing it does well there's a there's a really great analogy that john mulaney used on the tonight show uh, about how trump is like a horse loose in a hospital and 
the horse isn't like doing anything like he's not destroying everything but he's also a horse and we don't know how to deal with that because a horse has never been loose in the hospital and he he goes on to say how there's a horse tamer who's there and he's trying to you know get the horse out of the hospital but then the horse fires the horse trainer and it's and we're, (laughs) we're in this this situation where it's like well the, the horse isn't doing much, but it is loose in the hospital, and we've never seen this before, and we don't know what to do. You know what I mean? It's yeah. one of those uh, great analogies that kind of gets everything very succinct. Say what you want about his policies or the things that he's passed in his time as president. I think we can all agree that this is very different than we've ever seen it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, no question about it. Any other major takeaways from the midterm elections? Just that they're over, and... We might have four or five days before people just start talking about 2020 and the presidential race. I mean, now, I mean, part of me is so relieved that we're not going to see those campaign ads just ad nauseum anymore and that I don't have to pick through like the inch high stack of of flyers in my mailbox to get down to the Peninsula Pulse, which is the real value in my mailbox every week. I like um, the Peninsula Pulse so much that I get two every week. Hey, that's fantastic. Dave gives me one and puts it on my desk every week, and then I get one in my mailbox. Well, because you wear it out before you want to read it again. Right. Pages get wrinkled, so you got to go back through. And you want to have one for posterity. Yeah, I have one that I read, and then I have one that I frame. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, before we know it, it's going to be January and February, and Democratic challengers will start announcing or at least testing the waters on in a very serious way about who's going to run and um, and we'll be right back at it. And luckily I don't watch a lot of cable news, so I don't have to just hate it for as long as everybody else does. I, my only, my only major hopes for 2020 is that we get a candidate running on the internet platform. And <laughs> the first candidate that comes out and says he's going to give fiber to everybody in the United States gets my vote. All right, there you go. So listen, candidates, you have one vote in Egg Harbor, Wisconsin. Just I can guarantee for you. you one vote if you vote Low on the hanging internet fruit. platform. All right. Cool. I think that that just about does it for us this week then, Miles. Thank you so much for chatting with me. And of course. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Yeah, about something else. Yeah, we'll finally move on. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit doorcountypulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.